0: There's a place some of us go each fall, a place where the ring of a bell filters through the covers and hurried shouts of, bird up, bring everybody to attention. A place where the playful puppies around our house are transformed here to driven bird finders and where there is confidence in the slow pace of the silver-muzzled old veterans where our friends tell the same old stories each year and none of us seem to mind. Where great shots are forgotten and epic misses never fade. Where an old gun will have a story to tell if only it could speak to us. Where all the good seats are claimed by the dogs. If you have a camp, you know these things all too well. If you don't, well, you're always welcome here. So pull up a chair, tell us about your favorite gunner dog, and we'll admire the birds together and talk the night away by the fire. Welcome to Bird Camp. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Bird Camp Podcast. I am your host, Joe Schwenke, and this is the first recording of Season 4 I've made it a whole year, and now, uh, yeah, we're we're back and back in better than ever, as an old radio host that I used to listen to would say. And so on the line here, I have. Tra- it's Travis. I'm. I don't have my notes. Dang it. Yeah, Travis. Travis from Great Divide Kennels. Welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> How do you fumble the name? Really.
1: <laughs> it happens, man. It I, happens.
0: God. I'm I've I've fumbled before. It'll happen again, I'm sure, but uh, and I'm I just opened up a high life, so it's not that yet. But uh, we were put in touch through through a mutual Facebook friend, really, and uh, and then finally we're able to get some schedules together and make this work. And uh, without a whole lot, we'll we'll start with uh, well, why did he recommend you coming on the podcast?
1: Uh, Ryan's just always been a big proponent of mine um, I met him a long time ago actually at a dog park I was walking dogs and, and uh, I had a French Brittany and he, was, and he knew it was a French Brittany right away and we kind of hit it off you know not a lot of people would know that they called him a Springer or whatever all kinds of different names mm-hmm. you know. and, and uh, so I've known him for a really long time um, he's, he's a believer in what I do I guess and um, likewise, I and him, uh, he, he does some marketing stuff for me. He's good at what he does. And so I, I'm sure that's why, you know, buddy promoting a buddy, which of course I would do in, in favor of him too. So,
0: Yep. Yep. And, uh, so something new to season four, I'm going to start this out and I have yet to name it anything really catchy. So this is going to be, um, my dog dilemma is that as we're going to put it. And, uh, this came in as a, as a little written thing here. And so I'm going to try to intro stuff like this into each of the episodes. So this one's for you, and this one is Deer Bird Camp Podcast. I started occasionally hunting with a coworker a few times a year after he noticed a picture of my young setter in my office at work. It's been a good fit most of the time, but the last few trips we've been out, it's been to a preserve, and my dog has become distracted. He's been pushing beyond field boundaries and has been needing more and more handling as he gets confident. The last time out, my friend began helping me handle the dog. And now how do I fix that? You know,
1: I, this is, if, you, if you've ever hunted with people that don't own a dog, this is probably something you've encountered. And uh, of course, I have, I'm sure you have as well. <laughs> you know, it, it, I guess it kind of depends on how well you know the person, if it's if it's a coworker, you maybe got to tread a little lightly, but I, I'm usually pretty quick to put people in their place and I'll just tell them quick, you know, hey, it's my dog, I'll handle my dog. You know, you're welcome to hunt with us, but, um, you know, he doesn't know you, he's not gonna listen to you like he will to me. You're just gonna confuse him even more. Uh, and quite honestly, if it happened more than once, I don't know that I would have that person even come back because, you know, our, our days in the field are numbered. Uh, even if you hunt a lot, you know, let's say over thirty days a year, that's still not that much. And uh, as a as a bird dog owner, some things like that can be kind of annoying and and almost kind of ruin your day in the field sometimes. So, uh, usually, though, I, from my experience, if you just tell somebody once they usually will back off and they kind of get, especially if they're not a dog owner, they they don't really know. But um, if they don't back off uh, on quite honestly, I, I probably wouldn't even hunt with them anymore because uh, I'm there for a very specific reason. And that is to enjoy myself and enjoy my time with my dogs. And uh, if they were to become too pushy, uh, it kind of would take the fun out of it for me, you know? <laughs> But that being said, I do think it's important to get new people out into the field. Like that is a big, I'm a big proponent of that. And, and, you know, really uh, what I like to do though, is I'll even head that stuff off before we get to the field. If I know they're inexperienced, I'll tell them right away, Hey, I'll handle the dog. I'll kind of tell you if I want you to do something, you know, stick close to me if you want to get some shooting, because we're going to follow the dog. That's really probably the best way to go about it.
0: Yeah. I've, I was I noticed that part in there too. He says, you know, it, it's been a pretty good fit. And uh there is kind of a joke in our in our bird camp where it's easier to find a good wife than a good hunting partner. And so, how do you how do you make sure that you can salvage what might become one of those great relationships with you know, handle this just right, you know like, "Hey, yeah, it's my dog. I know if he don't listen to you." Maybe, "Hey, he's just learning to ignore people if you just keep hacking at him, but" You know, it's one of those things where, yeah, it's, it's going to take, well, for one, you got to man up and say something anyway, no matter what. It's not going to fix itself if you don't. And that, That's great. Yeah. And, and after, after that point, you know, handle it like two adults. Hopefully you're both adults, you know. And, uh, and that's maybe my take on it there is, you know, you got to be an adult. And you're going to have to just address the situation. Yeah, beforehand really helps, you know, before it gets out of hand.
1: It, it really and if they're if they're new hunters or they're non-dog owners a simple conversation should take care of it it's yeah. the seasoned guys that think they know everything that are probably the bigger problem when it comes to stuff like that you know and telling you how to handle your dog and what your dog should be doing and whatever but new guys usually I, like i said i like to just do I'll, before we even get out of the truck i'll have that conversation with them like hey this is what's going to go down this is how we're going to do this Mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like fishing too my boat my spot we're doing things my way you know my mm-hmm. spot for hunting my dogs we're gonna do them my way
0: yep and i have to worry about it too you know and uh and we'll get into a little bit about where you are it's easy for you to see your dog maybe more than it is for us i don't mind i don't mind the feedback if somebody tells me my dog is maybe ranging into somewhere he shouldn't and or it's in the grouse woods and Hey, he's really pushing his distance. Oh, okay, good. I can, I can respond then with, with the proper handling. Um, but if somebody else just starts calling for him, my dog doesn't have to listen to me. How is it? How is it going to listen to the other guy? Sometimes, you know, he's got his nose full of, who knows what? I mean, he pointed a skunk last season. You don't know what's going to happen there.
1: Yeah, especially if you're running multiple dogs, it's hard to keep track of multiple dogs at one time even with a gps system on them so Mm -hmm. yeah i I almost at that point i almost expect people to tell me if my dog is doing something out of the ordinary or getting too far or whatever it is Uh, that that absolutely is not a problem for me i appreciate that actually
0: yeah
1: um and it shows that they're paying attention too which is a good thing
0: right so yeah They're, um, they're learning to read the dog yes yeah yes which i don't and we'll have
1: more fun because of it
0: yep absolutely All right. Well, I think we've kind of solved this guy's dilemma and, uh, we'll get into this a little bit, you know, the usual icebreakers. We've got one out of the way. How did you start in hunting?
1: Oh, my dad. So my dad was one of those guys that he took me with no matter what he was doing. If it was fishing, it was hunting. It was a trip to the hardware store, no matter what it was like, I was, I was always with my dad. My dad was my hero when I was growing up and, uh, you know, hunting wise, I mean, I remember being like five, six years old and I remember going out one time walking a set of railroad tracks. We didn't have dogs uh, when I grew up hunting dogs anyway. And so we would walk the edges of railroad tracks. And I remember walking down the middle of the railroad tracks with my gun belt on with my two cap gun six shooters you know one on each side and dad was always just happy to take me along and you know I I look back at it and it probably limited him I know it limited him in a lot of the things he could do or how much time he could spend in the field and and all those things but he never left me home and you know those are some of my best memories growing up as a kid and that's really what got me hooked on it. It was just became an obsession and he just kept feeding that obsession and it just kind of morphed into what it is today. Hey, it's still definitely an obsession. So,
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. Here I am in the off season talking about hunting, which my coworkers oh, yes. are all used to it anyway. It's not anything new, but, uh, so that's, that's another one of those things too. And, and where do I put this? they, the the importance of not leaving the kid home, I you know, I used to carry, I think my dad actually still has it, it's out in his garage, there's an old Daisy, it's not the black and wood Red Rider BB gun, but it's like the gold painted one, and I remember going out where I got to carry that along once, um, and yeah, that, that thing of taking your kid hunting really does, it does limit you there's no way around it. they're not going to march the way you do through the cover. They're not going to last as long. Their interest is, is a lot less. And, uh, you know, and it, but the rewards are there, you know, just, you know, as long as you're not that overpowered pressure, you know, that pressure kind of parent, it's going to happen. You're going to get to see so many cool things, but, uh, that's, that's great thing for your dad. And, uh, you know, and it, it puts you where you are now, but, uh,
1: Well, it's kind of paid it forward Yeah. you know, he, he probably wouldn't Well, he wouldn't, not probably, I know he wouldn't hunt as much anymore. My dad's in his early sixties and he would not hunt nearly as much as he does now if it wasn't for me, you you know? So and he even told me this year, he's like, you, you know, when you come back like this, you make me get up and go and make me go and do it. And I appreciate that. And Mm -hmm. so it's kind of paid it forward in, in a way. Yeah. And, uh it's just cool i i love the history behind it and i you know and i'm trying to do the same thing with my kids i don't push them real hard we go all we walk around our house for maybe an hour or two a walk or two but um you know and they're slowly getting into it but i don't want to push too hard and ruin it either yeah you know and uh, but i look forward to the days when they all they do become obsessed with the dogs and with the guns and all that stuff and it's starting to happen now and it's
0: I mean,
1: I love it. I love every second
0: of it. Yep. Yeah. And I'm, we, when we talked before, my boys are somewhere between, what five, three and five years older than yours. So I know what you have to look forward to because I got to live it the last two, three years. And yeah, you're, you're going to have a lot of grinning to do ahead of you. But, uh, it is quite exciting. But, uh, tell me a little bit about Great Divide Kennels.
1: So Great Divide Kennel has been, a a dream of mine for a a lot of years and it's just something that we were never really able to manifest because of um, you know not having the the right location to do it or the finances or or, you know there's lots of pieces that need to fall into place for something like this and but it's a dream that I never let go of and um, about a year and a half ago now a little longer than that we had the opportunity to buy my wife's family farmstead, um, which is just south of Fargo-Moorhead, about 20 miles. And you know, their family's been here for, well, she'll be the third generation. And um, so we re- were lucky enough to be able to purchase it. Uh, and it still sits on a little bit of land. So we were able to put that land in the CRP too. So I have training grounds right in my backyard. Um, I got introduced to this breed would be about 12 years ago now I got told about him. I shouldn't say not introduced at that point, but told about him. And so it was a breed that I had uh, went back and looked at. And that breed is Brock Francais. And uh, I, I got one about four years ago now, and I just absolutely fell in love with him. And he's an absolutely phenomenal dog in so many ways. Uh, you know, And now having the dog, having the location, um, we put up a new building this year for a kennel building we imported two females from france so we're this is something we're a hundred percent all in on <laughs> yep and um but we love every second of it and i love bird dogs i i love the people that come along with the bird dogs and all those experiences and we're, we're trying to live the dream and it's happening for us and and actually the name great divide um came from the farmstead we her, my wife's dad is a, is a local historian, and so we were talking to him one day about, you know, we really want to name this kennel after something that has some relevance to the area or the land or whatever. And you know, so he got pretty excited, and he just kind of, he's like, well, let me think about it a little bit. And so we came back about a week later, we got back together with him, and he started throwing out some ideas. And he's like, you know, this place used to be called the Great Divide. And we we're like, well, why is that? And he goes, well, because everybody that lived east of here was German. And everybody that lived west of here was Swedish. And the first two people that lived on this farm said he was German and she was Swedish. So they called it the Great Divide. <laughs> and uh, and if you look back at the old plot maps uh, of the area, where they actually labeled them by you know, what your ethnic group was, that it was it truly was. Everybody in the east was German and west was Swedish. So it's kind of cool and we thought that was pretty sweet. And I'm German. My wife's got some swedish in her so we're like hey you know what this fits i can't yeah. think of a better name for it let's do it so that's what we did
0: oh that's awesome so so how did how did you get introduced then to the brock francais
1: so I, my first dog was a french Brittany, my first hunting dog and i had been kind of talking to that breeder about possibly buying his kennel and now this was a this you know this was 12, 13 years ago, and he said, you know, Trav, if you're looking at getting into this stuff, he goes, I certainly will sell you mine when the time comes, but you maybe want to look at the Brock Francaise, so I said, okay, and I, always, and I just had made a mental note of it, and I carried that note with me in my head for all these years, and so then when the time came to get another dog, I looked him up and I started talking to some people, and then I went and looked at a couple and and I got one, and you know like if you read the descriptions about them and what they say you know all well, the you know their temperament and their size and all that I, like it's spot on it it really is true and and uh just absolutely fell in love with them and one of those things is always to do this for me was I want to find a breed that I'm passionate about right like I didn't want to just be a short hair guy um or something like that nothing against short hairs but I just didn't I didn't want to like blend in with the car. I kind of like to be a little bit different anyway. Okay. Yeah, I think. A little unique. So, so that's how, that's how it happened. And um, yeah, I couldn't be happier with the decision.
0: Yep. Yeah. Now, now for the record though, I always thought that the Brock Francais looked so much like a GSP that in a lot of cases you wouldn't have known the difference right away. No, that- most
1: people don't actually. And he, you know, they get called, might get called GSPs all the time and, Yep. Unless I think that they're actually serious and really do want to know, I just agree with them. I'm like, yeah, it's just a GSP, you know, because I don't <laughs> want to go into a 20 minute monologue about what's different or what they are and explain the history yep. if I don't need to. You
0: know. Yeah, up up close they have some differences, but at a distance, the coloration and everything looks very similar. But uh, so, kind of speaking of then, in, in terms of that, these are imported then from France, and we kind of talked about this earlier, and I was. Curious about putting this on the podcast, and that is what are these dogs like in France? Now, more importantly than just what are they like, because really do, neither side of the ocean matters to a dog's temperament, really. But if I was to be hunting with a handler that has a Broc Francais in France, and how regional are they, and what's that region look like over there, you know, just geography wise?
1: Yeah, so you know, they. They really are like in the Pyrenees Mountains, uh, you know, like the southwest part of the country. And th- there's two types of rocks. There's the Pyrenees and there's the Gascon. And the Gascon is, is a bigger dog, a little slower working dog, and not really all that popular, even over there anymore. Um, mm-hmm. The Pyrenees is really kind of taking it over. But they hunt them in like a lot of really just beautifully, just rugged mountains. Um, the breeder that I got my girls from, um, you know, like I'll exchange pictures with them and we'll chat through messenger and stuff. And it's just gorgeous country and nothing like what I'm hunting them on here, like about as polar opposite as you get to be like the closest geography we have would be like the Rocky mountains. It's just crazy what they're hunting them in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but they're totally built for it. You know, they're a smaller frame dog. They're, they're super agile. They're super fluid in their gait and they're, they're built for it. I was hunting some badlands type of terrain with uh, my dogs this year. And I had never had them really in that before. And I actually just stood there and just watched her. My one girl for a while, because it was, she was, so, it was like she had Velcro on her feet to the ground. She was just cutting these huge cut bluffs and up and over the top and back down the ravines. And I was like, how is she not getting hurt or stumbling or falling? Well, it's completely in her genetics. Like that's what she was bred to do. And, it was so much fun to watch and i'm gonna hunt more like that just so i can watch the dogs cover that kind of ground
0: yep and that's that's one one more thing in there the the birds that they hunt they i I know if it was more english they would call it rough shooting or we would call it you know just normal hunting or walk-up hunting um that's how they would do that there right they don't really participate in drives or anything with these dogs do they
1: No, from what I've seen, the videos that I've seen, they hunt a lot like how I do. You know, I take my dogs, I go out and I hunt, my dogs point, we flush the bird, we shoot. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not like an English-style drive, a bunch of birds got a bunch of people surrounded and just firing rounds into the air. Um, It's very much like how we do it. You know, a guy or two and their dogs, and out they go. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're shooting woodcock over there, chucker over there. You know, the, the birds aren't really all that different. The terrain is just really what is different from what I'm doing
0: anyway. Okay. And you're, now that we've kind of described that terrain, what is it you're hunting in?
1: So I love big prairie. I think big prairie is the most beautiful landscape in the world. I love nothing more than to stand in just miles and miles of open prairie grass and where you can't see a road, you can't see a house or anything. So that's what I try to hunt. Now that's not always possible, you know, so we'll hunt cattails, we'll hunt prairie grass, um, you know, we'll hunt that badlandsy stuff. I mean, I'm targeting prairie birds. So pheasants, sharp tails, and huns is mostly what I'm going after. And uh, so, you know, the habitats that preside with those birds. But, and they're, these dogs are just super adaptable. Like they come over here and they do it no problem. You know, I go from walking in the prairie and my dogs will range 250 yards to we walk some thick cattails or some brush and they'll cut right down to fifty yards. Um you know, and, and they're not the only dog that'll do that. I know that, but they just do it so naturally. It's it, it's a lot of fun. Without any training they do that. Mm-hmm. And they do range big over there too. Like he I've seen pictures of his Garmin GPS where I mean the dogs are, you know, seven, eight hundred meters out there running these mountains looking for birds and it's just wild. <laughs>
0: Oh, can you imagine 800 meters and that thing beeps and says point? I... In mountains. <laughs> yeah, it's over that uh, It's over that ridge on the other side. Oh, oh well, yeah, well, okay. That
1: happens in the prairie, and I feel like it takes me half an hour to get there. I can't imagine a mountain setting.
0: <laughs> now, uh, when we talked earlier, you were talking about some camps, and you said that they were family-style kind of camps. Tell me a little bit about what some of those are like and and who gets to go and, and, uh, well, who does go. Maybe who gets to go is the wrong way of saying that.
1: (laughs) Well, there's some people that aren't invited anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we started a tradition um, a, a, a fair number of years ago. Um, where we go camping kind of on the opener so like sharptail opener in north dakota which is the second weekend in september Uh, we have a camp for that Um, then we have a camp for the pheasant opener which is the second weekend in october and those are very similar we go to the same place it's just a little campground where i grew up hunting and i've got some family that farms and it's just family and friends you know some of my uncles will come up that i I don't get to see more than maybe a couple of times a year. And I absolutely cherish going hunting with them and the time we get to spend together. And, and, but we also have some friends that'll come out too. And, um, and not everybody will go hunting. Um, you know, some of us do, but some of them just kind of hang out and stay at camp and cook. And, um, but we all sit around the fire and we all have some cocktails and we all tell a bunch of lies and we all tell the same stories we've been telling for the last decade. And, and they just keep getting embellished. And, uh, that is like my best times of the year. I, I can't think of anything I would rather do, uh, than that. And then we also take one out to Montana. Um, we've done the last three years. I have a, a really good buddy that lives out there and farms out there. And so we have some access to some private and then we do hunt a bunch of public too, but, and, so far that's just been my dad and I, and then my cousin. Um, and they're the two people that I primarily hunt with anymore, uh, on a regular basis anyway. Um, so just the three of us that go on that one, we haven't taken anybody else with us yet. Um, and maybe we will, maybe we won't, I don't know. my, my kids will definitely go when they get a little bit older. Um, but that is just an amazing trip too, because it's just a different landscape and a different scenery and, you know, we drag a fish house out, and we camp on, on some of my buddy's land, which is super remote, and um, bring a propane fireplace with because it's so dry out there that time of year. You can't have a real fire, and kind of the same thing. You know, you hunt hard all day long and sit by the campfire and have a couple cocktails and tell some stories and live the life's, the day's memories. So I have a good buddy who always says that. He's like, you know, it's all about making memories, Travis. And that really is. That really has become my mantra too.
0: You're starting to sound like a grouse hunter at that point. It's all about the experience. (laughs) (laughs) We're gonna we're gonna eat our chicken nuggets in peace. We didn't get any birds, and it was all about the experience, and it was awesome. (laughs) 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 That's It's, I, there are some days I think that bird hunting and trout fishing are pretty much the same. You end up coming home with no birds, no trout. You know, you, you go to the grocery store for dinner and everyone has a great time doing it. Um, ho- hopefully the woodcock are in that. You can usually change your luck on woodcock, but that's something, you know, and unfortunately you're only, you're only, you said like 45 minutes away from that kind of cover and you always go the other way instead you know,
1: I, I've been talking about rough grass and woodcock hunting for years, and I just have not. I don't know if it's a lack of courage thing or a confidence thing or what it is, but I just have not done it. And I keep making excuses on why I haven't done it, and I just really don't that's... have a good one. I just need to do it.
0: And and you said earlier, though, too, man, there's nothing you love more than seeing a big prairie. Well, if that's the thing you love the most... There is nothing more opposite than a tangle of aspens and elders where you can't see 10 yards. There's nothing more opposite. <laughs> with, That's right. That is right. I still should be doing it though. Oh, it's you know, you, you might find something new to take your money away. Yeah, that yeah, cuz I need that. Yeah. Yeah, we all we all do. That's why I have a a podcast. I can relive hunting without costing me anything. And, That's right. Uh, yep. Now, now, when you go out out there, that, that big prairie, and uh, how, how many dogs end up in camp? Well, so I have
1: three now, um, and my cousin has one. He has he has a German short hair. Um, but prior to that, we only would have two. I had one, and he had one. And those dogs would get just an atrocious amount of miles on them because, you know, we'll usually go for, like, four days. And um, – you, you know, but now with me having the three, I'll tell you the hardest part about owning three dogs is my legs get tired and my feet get sore before the dogs do because I'm rotating dogs out all the time and trying to get them all walks and all on birds. And I, I've texted my cousin that a couple times this year is like the hardest part is, man, I don't have it in me anymore. I'm only 40 years old, but it's a lot of work trying to put them that, that many miles on these things.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I can imagine out there, too. I, I watch my GPS, and I see I brought two dogs to camp this last season for the same reason. There's only so much I can put on me, and so I could prioritize which dogs I wanted in camp and which ones could get the, the work. But when you, you get out there, and all of a sudden, what my casts are at 50 to 80 yards, yours are now 250. That's a lot of mileage, and uh, especially, too, if they're covering, covering ground between multiple hunters. You could really have a lot of dog power used up if you're not careful is there any are you managing their miles any certain way do you put limits on them
1: not really um you know my girls were young this year this was really their first solid hunting season I'd hunted them a little bit last year so I didn't hunt all thirty dogs together or even really two dogs together I just was take I would take my girls out by themselves um and I just didn't there wasn't enough opportunity to put too many miles on them this year. Hmm. Now, next year we'll, you know, this training season we'll work on that and we'll get them out in the field together and get them used to that. And they've had plenty of experience now, but um, no, I don't, I would though, if, if, it, if, if I needed to like there was one day last year in Montana where it got warm and my, my mail had put on like 30 miles and 20 miles in one day at like 12 miles an hour. according to the gps and i mean that's just cranking there's no way he could do that for four straight days and when the grass is really dry especially you know their feet get start to get pretty beat up uh, Mm -hmm. after a while so it'll be nice to have dogs and have a rotation and especially in warmer weather and so you're not overheating them heating them and not overusing them i'm looking forward to it
0: yep yeah and i'm as i know the the one of mine turned nine yesterday I'm now watching his mileage because, okay, I, I'm not ready to retire you. But at a certain point, hey, you hit your, your 10 miles for the day. If, if you're going to hunt every day, that's your cap. So you pull him, and he's mad at you. <laughs> like, okay, who who else has a dog we can use? This one's done. And he's in there barking <laughs> at me. No, I'm not done. Yeah, you're, you're done today. <laughs> but, Yo, they,
1: they won't stop, so no, you have won't. to stop them. and. Mm-hmm they don't realize that it's for their own good and that it means that they're going to get to actually hunt more because you did that. And especially when they do get older, like that a couple extra miles could put them out for the whole next day or day, two days. Yeah. So that's a good call.
0: Yep. And there's, and you brought it up earlier too, you know, as they were young, you were running your dog singly. I don't know if, is there a, there's no real better way of, of letting a dog hog all the experience uh, than running single just just let that one dog out and learn all it can and i know it's it's hard to it's hard to keep dogs back and just run the one at a time because you really want to run all your dogs and have fun with all of them kind of at once and those those big trips are that thing where you can't do that
1: yeah i watched my girls really blossom this year because they were by themselves <laughs> in the field you know we didn't my cousin would have not brought his dog either, you know, and um, I think that's important to do. They they don't have the same experience because when they're young like that, they aren't able to just solely focus on the job because they don't really fully understand what the job is. So until you can get them into a bunch of birds and they really start to get it dialed in, I, I really believe it's just better to take them all by themselves. And, yeah, you might sacrifice one year or, you know, a season and a half by doing that but the long-term play is just so much better
0: for doing it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's the the development really, you know, that, that learning experience that, yeah, there's, there's enough birds. You're going to get some good contacts in your case too. It's saving some of your dog power too. You didn't have any afternoons where you had to take it off and rest dogs, you know, and that's kind of the run. That's the same risk that we run in the grouse woods. You know, if, if you run them all too much, too quick, you get a half day playing cards.
1: Yeah, and I, like, I would like to take other trips, too, to other geographies, like, I'd love to go to Arizona, but that's one of the things I've always heard, too, is, like, you got to have more than one dog, because the ground is so much different, it'll just shred their feet, and, Mm -hmm. like, I rode my dogs on gravel, because I live on gravel, so, but still, you know, you get into something different, a little different terrain, and it still beats them up hard, (laughs) so I'm a big proponent, and you know, I use as ex- many excuses as I can to own multiple dogs with my wife. Well, what if one gets hurt or, you know, too many miles or whatever, whatever I got to do to sell it. But I'm sold on my, I, I am myself am sold on having more than one forever.
0: Yep. Yeah. There's, I think at least two, and I wouldn't mind at times like we have four in the house. I wouldn't mind three pointing dogs. Just there, there's going to be a circumstance where I wish I had more dog power. Uh, luckily Luckily, I hunt with friends, and every friend is in the same position I'm in. You know, I really should have a third. <laughs> and at that point, well, okay, we we all should have enough dogs. And uh, and as we get older, we're not going to keep up anyway. And uh, that's right. The more the more French cooking I experiment with, the the less I'm going to keep up. I think. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yeah. There's uh, uh, things going on by you a little bit, and I I know we have we have this in common because we've talked now. This is the second time um you've got boys growing up mine are a little bit ahead of yours uh the importance of getting kids out into out into seeing what we do right and uh how does how did that work with you i know you've been part of a couple of youth hunts and is there i i guess i'm i guess i'm asking really is what was the method behind it on the intro how did you maybe engineer it because the nice thing about youth days is you can engineer so much of the circumstances already. Um, was there anything added in that approach going into it of how to make the day as good as you could?
1: Yes, we, Our local NAVDA chapter, the, the Red River Valley chapter, has participated for a really long time with the local Pheasants Forever chapter in their youth hunt. And we we would always provide the dog work because we have, you know, very well-trained pointing dogs. And uh, it was, would have been a couple of years ago now, we decided that, hey, you know, why don't we have our own too? Like, this is totally something we should be doing. Um, so we actually participate in both. Um, we put on our own now and we participate in the PF one. And this, is, this was the second year that we did it. And, you know, getting youth into the field I think, is a, is a priority for our entire chapter, for me personally, and for our president of our chapter personally, too. And um, it, it's been a lot of fun. You know, there, there's many kids that come out that have never hunted before. They've maybe shot a little bit of shotgun. They certainly have never hunted behind um, that well of a trained dog, you know, in most cases. Some of them have. But So we'll kind of do a little bit of everything with them. We'll we'll put on a little trap shoot for them. We'll do a pointing dog demonstration so that they kind of have an idea of what to expect when we get to the field. And then we'll break up into groups. Um, And the dogs are all like a utility-level trained dog, generally. So, you know, they're all steady to fall. And... um, what better way to introduce a kid to bird hunting and to bird dogs than to have a highly trained bird dog out there and put them on some pheasants. Right. Mm-hmm. And, yep. um, it, it's just, it's a passion of mine. I do it with my kids and, you know, do it with neighbor kids. Uh, we do it for the youth hunts that I, I have a niece that comes out and loves to help me train dogs. I've taken her hunting with me a couple of times. Uh, I I can't think of anything better for our sport than to get the kids involved. I mean, we always talk, we always read and hear about how it's the future of the sport, but it really is. If they don't get involved, it'll probably go away before that they ever really had a chance to even fully understand it. And that would be a sad, sad thing in my opinion. So I'm super involved in our chapter is getting kids into the field.
0: Yep. Did you have any time crunch issues? We had, we had a couple of youth hunts not that far ago. Um, and there's always almost it's almost like you're trying to do too much, but at the same time you're trying to do absolutely everything you can, right? So you're trying to shoot a few clays, get them out on some birds, show them how to clean a bird, and then you know take take the adult aside and go, okay, now here's a spot where you can go find a recipe that anybody can cook a pheasant, you know, and you try to do all that in something that's a timely fashion and uh and I'm guilty of this. I'm always on the opposite end of the field when the time's up, yes, and then you got to hunt your way all the way back. You get a couple of rooster chases, and you're you're ten minutes late at least, almost every time. Um, it, it's a small price to pay. I'd say it's worth ten minutes late every time, um mainly because I've had so much fun, and the kids seem to really not care either. There's no other way around it. They want to watch the dog. They want to pet the dog. They want to talk about the birds, and uh, is there any method around? Like, I don't, I don't know how your logistics went. So maybe that's the question. Really, is were you able to keep the thing on time?
1: For the most part, we do. Um, of course, it never is really all on time. I don't know anything like that that ever is. The, the one of the things we run into though is because of the time of the year that we. We have to do it. We have to do it in in August because we're trying to get them done before hunting season starts, but yet we're trying to work around uh, our NAVDA tests and we have our fall tests the end of August. And so, you know, generally, you know, middle of August-ish is when we're doing it. Well, it still gets pretty warm up here at that time of the day. So, you know, we got to kind of get all that stuff done, you know, all that stuff that you're trying to do for the precursor to the hunt, the big finale, you know. And then you got to be battling the heat yet too, so yeah, it is important to keep it, and it is always a battle to keep it on time, but it never happens. It just does. No. And and I don't want to teach the kids that you gotta you should hurry through the field either. You know, we're trying to teach them as we're going. Oh, this is why the dog is doing this, and you know, do, notice how that we explain the training level. Like, see how the dog was steady? That's a safety thing. Yeah. Um. And and trying to make sure it's safe. And you're not running through the field or doing anything dumb like that. It just never. I would rather, I would, same as you, if I'm 15, 20 minutes late, but the kids had a good time and we shot some birds. So be it. It is what it
0: is. Yep. I think by the time our lunch was over at this last one, we were somewhere around an hour and 15 minutes running behind. And I don't think (laughs) anyone knew it. Well, they all knew it. And no one decided to notice, you know, they, well, that's just the way it goes. It's okay. You know? And then at, at that point, you know, kids are still grinning. They're still talking about it, you know? Um, come to find out that this last one had a couple of kids from opposite uh schools they were on opposite teams and they were going to compete against each other here and there and so they figured that out in the parking lot just before the field portion there so they had a little bit of trash talk going on as well but uh that's there's something too about it And, and as well the the part where the parents came along i like this one happened and I don't know if it happens out there with you as well, but you know, I'm, my embarrassing moment is okay. Yep. There's, there's, you know, okay. You and you and your dad and you and and your dad too. Right. And the guy's like, no uncle, grandpa. Nope. I still have no idea the relationship this man had with this, this young man. (laughs) And uh, I, I know they knew each other well enough. I don't know. They might've been from the same church or something else. It might've been a guidance counselor, but here it is. And, of course, so I look kind of foolish because I'm just naturally assuming that the old guy and the young guy are together at least through some sort of relationship which they probably had. I just couldn't guess it it's not family, which is exciting for me because now I have somebody else who's reached beyond their own family pulling a kid in and uh and what a hoot you know it's it was a lot of fun, but uh it's. <laughs> It's, it's one of those things, being late, I guess, at the end of a youth hunt's probably just to be expected. My, my wife expects me to be late every time, whether, well, youth or otherwise, I'm always late. Um, not late to arrive. I'm just always late to leave. Yes. <laughs> but uh, I try
1: to get my wife involved. In this shit. She'll come take pictures, and my kids will come, and they'll hang out, too, so they can see it. So then someday, <laughs> you know, if I decide to let them participate... Um, uh, they'll kind of know what's going on, but it just gets them more excited too, because they're seeing other kids that are excited and into this kind of a, a thing. And, uh, you know, excitement brings excitement and mm-hmm. I don't know a better way to do it with hunting than something like that. Yep. And we give away a couple of guns usually at ours too at the end. So, wow. you know, that we, that we get it donated and just try to make it as cool as we can for them and give them a bunch of swag and all kinds of stuff.
0: We'll move into a couple things here. One of my, one of my stock questions. And, uh, and this one is, do you have a special dog memory? Well, I have a lot of special dog memories.
1: Um, you want me to pick one?
0: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> this, oh, yeah. Bef- before this podcast goes about as long as the decline and fall of the Roman Empire... Volumes 1 through 20, we'll, <laughs> we'll have to go with one.
1: So, I'll, I'll talk about the whole reason I got into bird dogs. Um, my cousin that I was talking about earlier that I hunt with a lot, I uh, had a bird dog It was an American Brittany, and his name was Joe. And I never really hunted behind... Uh, I'd never hunted behind a pointer before at this stage, and I had always... I grew up wanting like a chocolate lab or a lab in general. And my parents would never let me get one mostly because they are absolutely shedding machines. (laughs) And, uh, and I'd hunted behind some cockers and worked like a couple field trial cocker, um, cocker field trials and stuff like that. But I had, I'd never hunted behind a pointing dog before. And um, the, the whole day is just a complete, you know, Memory that will never, ever fade. I remember every detail of it. And I remember walking in this little draw, And my cousin's Brittany's bebopping along, and he locks up on this little tuft of grass that was in the middle of, like, a mowed section where they mowed it out for hay. But for some reason, they left or missed this little patch of grass. And the dog comes up, and he locks up on it hard on point. And I have no idea. I'm like, what's your dog doing? He goes, get ready. I'm like, for What? He goes, there's a, there's a bird in there. I'm like, whatever, man, there is no bird in there, you know. So I kind of move up a little bit, and I'm holding my gun, and I'm all nonchalant with it, just like, okay, do your thing. And he kicks this up the to grass, and sure enough, a rooster comes blowing out of it, swings <laughs> to my left. I pull up, I make the shot, I drop the bird. The dog runs over and grabs the bird, and I just remember yelling, that was awesome, and he's like, he go he's like what and I'm like the dog and he's like oh yeah pretty cool huh? I'm like are you kidding me like <laughs> I started researching dogs like instantaneously after that and the next season I had one it absolutely had me hooked mm-hmm. the fact that that dog knew that bird was there and pointed it was just astounding to me and <laughs> created the obsession that is now great divide kennel
0: yep <laughs> that is that is awesome. Yeah. I know, uh, you had, you had your camps, you said that kind of correlated with opening day and, the uh, and this last time then you had to have missed camp to go on a special trip yourself then.
1: Oh, yeah, I, yeah. This was the first year that I have missed opening weekend, the pheasant season in North Dakota. And as long as I can remember, I, I have never missed one. It's it's more important to me than Christmas is, you know, as far as time. I Like, I never miss it. And my dad actually was lucky enough to draw his North Dakota elk tag this year. And uh, we've all been listening to him whine for the last 40 years about how he's never drawn this elk tag. And so he finally drew it this year, and he's just like a kid in a candy store. He was so excited. And, and he's like, are you going to come back home and go? And I'm like, well, of course I'm going to come back and go. It's like, when are we going? He goes, oh, the second week in October. I'm like, what? <laughs> and he goes, I know it's opening week in a pheasant season. I'm like, that's okay, Dad. Like, we'll go away. <laughs> but secretly, I was not happy. Like, I was I was upset about it, and I was complaining to my wife all the time, and I was complaining to my cousin, like, I don't want to even go. I just want to go bird hunting. So we got out there, and I tell you, it was one of the most amazing hunting trips I've been on with my dad. We had multiple friends that were out helping us and scouting, and um, it helped with every aspect of the hunt. And we all stayed together, and uh, uh, like a camp, but it was it was in town, so you can't really call it a camp in my book, right? But um, but it was so much fun, and and he did. He harvested his elk. He he just had a cow tag, but he harvested it and. Uh, just the whole hunt and the way it played out was absolutely amazing, and just to see the joy on his face with how excited he was um, was just—they were making memories, right? Is all it was. The whole we, the whole weekend was just memories, and mm-hmm. I'll never forget it. And he'll never forget it, and, and neither will anybody else that was on it.
0: And yeah,
1: so if I have to sacrifice one year of opening weekend of pheasant season so that I can participate in something like that. I'm I'm okay with that. There's plenty of time to pheasant hunt the rest of the year.
0: Right. It's a, yeah. And it's one of those things too. I'm someday that, that Michigan elk tag is just about as elusive as that North Dakota one. And, uh, of course I haven't been putting in any points in it, so I won't be in the position to make my kids come along because at, at this rate, I don't have enough preference points to decide to even start putting them in at, at age 43 now. And, uh, and plus the season usually corresponds pretty close to the beginning of grouse season over here and i may be unwilling to to skip and do something different myself but it it uh it sounds one of those things too that that family focus and i think a lot of hunting still has that family focus in it and uh that's that's just an exciting story i just I got a little go- goosebump over here from it but uh of course, and I admit it. He, he, was, he was shaking like a leaf.
1: Like <laughs> my dad had shot literally hundreds of deer in his life. Who knows how many birds? And when we came, when we, we kind of they were following up a, a little ravine on us, and we had kind of you know shuffled our way to the end of it so that when they came out, they'd be in front of us. And I, he, he was trying to hold the gun steady, and he was shaking so bad I had to hand him the shooting sticks so that he could put it down so that he could make the <laughs> shot. You know, and it was only like a 75 to 100-yard shot, but he, I, I, it was like buck fever all over again, you know, and it's probably been a lot of years since he's experienced that. And, and he was hooting oh, yeah. and hollering when he, when he put her down. It was just so much fun. And like I said, I, I wouldn't trade those memories or that weekend for anything. It, it was a blast. And, yep. and then, you know, the whole full cycle. So, you know, when we were trying to get together a, a week ago, like we were making sausage. Uh, with out uh, of the elk and same thing, you know, uncles come over, d- yeah. mom and dad are there. My kids are with, it just turns into a big family thing. And it's just another part of hunting that evolves into a family affair and making memories. And I, I love every part of it.
0: Yep. Uh, the, the idea that after a ye- a lifetime's worth of hunting, a grown man might worry about being able to hit a beach ball size target at 75 yards has to be a thrill. You know, I, I'd i better get the sticks. I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's something we taught the kids here, too. I was like, he was going to go out for a deer. His first deer ever, right? And yeah, those same shakes hit there and, you know, sitting there, the, the guns rested up on a big wooden wall. And, uh, okay, you know, our, how bad are the wiggles? Oh, they're pretty bad. Okay. <laughs> it's only 60 yards away and you're going to hit a watermelon, right? Uh... They're pretty bad. Okay, that that shaking that sh- I f- I still feel it a little bit. You know, I I don't notice it so much when I shoot a deer, but the the memories of sitting there in a tree stand at 16 years old, wondering if I'm going to fall out because I can't control myself, you know, that's that that thrill never that memory never goes away. <laughs>
1: I've always said with deer hunting, I don't do it a whole lot anymore because I just
0: would rather follow my dogs. But
1: I've always said if the day that I don't get nervous or that I don't get a little bit of buck fever or excitement is the day that I just hang up doing it because, you know, then it becomes too normal place. And that's not okay with me. I I like the excitement and, you know, we've always done a lot of driven hunts for deer. So it was always the deer got up and you just made a decision you were going to shoot. So you would shoot. And, you know, since I moved to Minnesota, you know I've done a little bit of stand hunting and I've had does walk in and be 50 to 75 yards and I'm holding my muzzle muzzleloader and same thing I'm shaking like a leaf and I'm like what's going on like I've shot plenty of deer in my life but you know <laughs> in birds you don't really get that opportunity because it's just uh <laughs> blows out of the grass and you pull up and shoot but yep. uh, yeah I don't know I, I I like it and I can't wait to experience that with my kids you know the first time that they pull up on one and to be able to watch the gun barrel moving, And, you know, I, I did a turkey hunt with my nephew is a couple of years back. And we called in this really big Tom and, and I, I was kind of sitting in the background a little bit. They were up in front of me and this Tom comes up and he's strutting and he's all puffed up and he's walking around the decoy, you know, and, and I remember looking at my one nephew who was going to shoot and I could see his gun barrel just going in like every single direction possible and he shoots and he misses and I could tell he was pretty dejected that he had missed, so I walk over there and I sit down next to him and I put my arm around him I said, Hank, your gun barrel looked like you were trying to write your name in cursive. And he <laughs> just starts laughing. Said, next time, man, use your knees, you know? So I showed him how to hold his gun and use his knee for a brace and whatever. And he's like, oh, thanks, Trav. I'm like, no problem. But it was pretty fun to watch that. And, you know, you get the amount of adrenaline that had to be pumping through his veins just had to be. Crazy.
0: yeah and, and turkey hunting i've i've bow hunted i've done a lot of other things played a lot of paintball back in the intense days of that and turkey season and the turkey is one of the biggest thrills i've ever had and that those shakes don't quite go away the same way other ones do but uh it, boy the, of course that's the springtime so you gotta pick a hobby to eliminate and uh turkey had to go but uh (laughs) according to my nine-year-old it is
1: what we are doing so he's got it all planned he's got the next two decades of my life planned out and that is one of the things that is in those plans is we're going turkey hunting and i said okay sounds good we're going turkey hunting
0: yes we are yep (laughs) I, i keep i keep a call still here in my study my favorite box call is an old lynch uh foolproof i can't get my dad's world champion lynch away from him yet he's not done hunting but uh that foolproof sits up here every now and then we we play with it still and uh and the rest of the family still turkey hunts i just i gotta i gotta relax and rest for one small season somewhere in there and i picked that one not not that it'll be rest and relaxation we have a a robust woodcock banding program happening about the same time that i want to i won't be doing the banding but i want to follow along with my camera and i want (laughs) to help you know lend a helping hand really and just get out and watch people's dogs but uh yeah so not so much the restful thing i would have hoped it would have been that's so so you've mentioned cocktails a couple of times now and i'll admit i facebook stalked you to six months worth of your your history in there and i noticed that you had a selection of uh sipping liquor in one of your pictures what's your favorite sipper for the end of the hunt
1: uh, so if I'm sipping liquor, uh, it's either a Stranahan's Blue Label Colorado whiskey uh, or I've kind of been digging the Basil Hayden bourbon lately. That's been one of my go-tos. Mm. And, and, of course, uh little Buffalo Trace is never a bad choice either. In my opinion, you're not going to find a better bourbon for the dollar uh, for Buffalo Trace. You know, it's like 25 bucks for a bottle of it, and it's, it's pretty good whiskey. So. Yep. And beer, I like drinking beers too. I like uh, that time of the year. I like to buy some Oktoberfest, like some Sam Adams or some of the microbrew October Oktoberfest and have a few of yep. those too.
0: Yeah, yeah, yep, that's one of those. The base. I'll, I'll second your Basil Haydens every every chance I get. That one's a good one, and uh it is. It really is. Yep. I just are.
1: found it not that long ago, and I'm glad it came into my life. It's good
0: stuff. <laughs> it is. They. I've been able to pair a few times with uh, their port rye. It goes really well with a sweet, creamy dessert, especially if it's got a hint of fruit in it. So it it matches really well. Next thing you know, you've had four servings of dessert. You've had four servings of the Basil Hayden. You're feeling great, and uh, (laughs) and you call it an evening. But uh, that... That stuff's good. The, the the toasted variety was also really good. That one's come up to camp with us a few times. Um It kind of I don't have any pictures of it, but uh there's a windowsill in the rental that we we pick every year and we've usually now to the point where it gets filled with probably six or seven different varieties and then you see which ones guys haven't tried yet because which one empties first happens you know and the the poor guy that brings it wondering okay maybe we'll drink half of mine and everyone else's realizes the whole bottle's gone and it's tuesday and so everyone <laughs> tried it everyone liked it so they had seconds and now you're out you're out your bottle and that happened to a couple including a nice bottle of angel's envy this year and uh i brought some of mine home which i was some made some with. Of mine home. <laughs> I brought some of mine home i i helped finish off the angel envy we got into, oh, there were so many different varieties, and then next thing you know, a new bottle appeared, because there's a store in town not that far away, and a, a new one to try, but uh, that's, and and I would like to also say, this is after the hunt. Not, yes, after not, the hunt. As, as much as I like my, my British sort of traditions a little bit, which I'm clearly not British, I'm, I'm not going to sip on anything before the guns get put away, um, mainly just, there's too much that can go wrong already that you're already in mind with with safety and then you add into it that we can't see each other half the time Um we're we just don't do that Um it's just not worth it no it's uh, not. so
1: we, we don't we don't either you know and if there's a day where we do decide four o'clock we're gonna have a beer or something after we're done walking then it pretty much is the end of the day after that we don't we put the dogs away and we put the guns away and it, and it's done. So, yep. you know, well, another thing that I'll drink is I'll take a little gin beam sometimes and I'll mix it with, mix it with some Fresca, like a 90 10 ratio. Just call it a Frisky. And that's actually not a bad little drink either. I do that 10, sometimes. 10% Fresca, right? 10% Fresca. You know it. Yes. Yes.
0: <laughs> I had a coworker that drank Coke with uh, rum with color and, uh, it it looked like dark rum. It was it was clear when it started, and it was just rum with color, and a uh, little splash. It was, and uh, he learned that in the the military, evidently, is how his stories all went. But uh, we'll we'll finish this up. Uh, anything, actually, before we finish this, anything else on the Brock Francais? I mean, we've kind of missed the whole point of part of this, didn't we? Or actually, maybe we didn't. <laughs> no, that's okay. No, that's okay. You know,
1: I, I would tell you that I honestly believe that they're one of the best kept secrets in the hunting dog world. They, if you read about them, it'll the descriptions will talk about how they're a small, quick, agile dog with a fluid gait. It's a hundred percent true. Uh, one of the other things that it will say is that they have a calm temperament. That is also a hundred percent true. I've had. At my place, over the course of the last 12 months, I've probably had eight or nine different ones, and every single one of them is calm. And, you know, we get real cold in the wintertime, and there's times just recently we had a whole week where it never got uh, above zero, and I don't like to walk my dogs mostly because I don't like to walk if it's below zero outside, and especially if the wind is blowing. Um, So they they would just go outside to go to the bathroom and come back in for a whole week, they never, ever got rambunctious in my house. They're just calm. And they're not old dogs. You know, they're mm-hmm. my male is almost four and my girls are not even two. So they're still younger dogs. Yeah, um, And they're extremely biddable. You know, the, one of the descriptions will say that they're soft. I wouldn't say that they're soft. They can take pressure. They just don't need pressure. They're very good with just positive reinforcements. And just knowing what you want them to do, knowing what the job is that you need them to do and they'll do it. And like I force fetch them and I'm not like a crazy, you know, two E-collar max throttle force fetch guy, but, you know, I just use as much pressure as I need to and they take it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're smart and they'll also manipulate your emotions. So if you let them do that, they'll play you to a T and, I've got one of my girls. she Boy, you would put a knee collar on her, and it could be on like a number two, and she'd hit the deck with all four feet in the air, just squealing like you were skinning her alive. And once she figured out that that wasn't gonna wasn't gonna work, I wasn't gonna stop. That I was gonna keep, you know, making her do the work. She she just stopped. She was totally fine, and she, and she does the job now. But she was trying to get out of doing it, right? And so they, they are everything that they're advertised to be. They do look very much like a short hair they're They're typically smaller. My girls are thirty one and thirty five pounds My male is fifty pounds um They've got a shorter nose mm-hmm. um and they only come in brown and white they don't there's no black in them so
0: yep, yeah, that avoidance that she displayed there that's <laughs> it's encouraging to see in a dog mainly because the dog is thinking, how do I get out of this?" which is great because the the other one the other version of that same panic is oh my god i think i'll just freeze up here and lay on the floor screaming which really doesn't work well with with training and uh yeah i've I, i got bit during during force fetch with my gsp for the same reason how do i get out of this how do i how do i turn this off well you know when you start listening it'll go real good you know and sure enough he did finally and you know, that, that dog that thinks certainly certainly comes in handy later on.
1: Yeah, in the field, boy, when they start to put it together, and, they, and especially when you start to get on new species, they figure it out real quick, mm-hmm. and they're able to dial it in real fast. And, yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. And um, Those dogs that are able to try to manipulate or push you a little bit, they're also the ones that make you learn, too. It's not just a standard cookie-cutter. You know, I'm going to read a book, and this is exactly how I do it. They're the ones that make you like sit back. I would sit in my chair in, in the evening having a cocktail, watching some TV, and I wouldn't even be paying attention to the TV, but how am I going to get her to do this? You know, and just thinking about it. And, and finally, once I figured it out, then it was smooth sailing from then on out. But I love a challenge, and it, it's also extremely rewarding when you do get them figured out and you get them dialed in. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. We'll, we'll finish up on my famous last question. If you were to be able to handle one gun for a day, one <laughs> historical gun, what would it be and where would you take it?
1: You know, you you told me you were going to ask me this question, and I've been thinking about it really hard. And... Once I, once I figured out how I wanted to answer it, it was very obvious to me. And the answer to that question would be, I want a gun that was used somewhere in my family's history to hunt. I don't have that. Neither of my grandpas hunted. Neither of my grandpas even owned guns. I don't. My I know my great grandpas did a little bit, but... I'm not privy to having one of those guns in my possession or even having seen one just have heard stories Mm -hmm. and stuff like that is important to me. And I, and I think of my guns and my dad's guns as you know, legacy things that we will pass down from generation to generation. And I would really like for nothing more than to find some old LC Smith or Fox side-by-side that, somebody in my family owned and used to hunt upland game birds at some point and be able to carry that thing in the field uh, and hunt birds with it over my dogs. Unfortunately, I don't think it'll ever happen and that's okay. But if I could choose, that is absolutely what I would choose.
0: Yep. Well, in this case, you're, you get to choose the kind of gun it's going to be is is what you're saying, right? You're going to be the, you're going to eventually be the grandfather whose gun gets used. So, Pick, pick wisely. I'd...
1: <laughs> I bought a Dickinson 20-gauge side-by-side a few years ago, and I just fell in love with it. And consequently, today, actually, I went to Shields, and I ordered the same gun in a 28. Mm-hmm. And next year, I'm going to go to Shields, and I'm going to order the same gun in a 410 so that I have the matching set from 20 all, all the way down that my kids can fight over someday and, and yeah, right. their kids can fight over someday and have, and that's the whole reason for doing it is, because I, I do wish that I had some of those family heirlooms. Like I'll get my dad's guns someday, hopefully not soon, um, mm-hmm. you know, to have, but uh, I really wish I had something that was, hundred plus years old that was in my family that i could take out and shoot birds with that would be so sweet yeah i actually might even like dress the role and get like the old clothes and everything and
0: if i could have one you know and i'll admit that that's a lot of fun even even if you have a more modern gun or a, you know the the dickinson side by side is a good example too which i got to handle one or two some time ago and if i remember right they're a they're a quick-handling little gun, especially in the sub-gages. They they are slim. They have an Italian feel, I thought, to them, um, which might actually be explained by they might be designed in Italy. But uh, there's, there is something cool about finding an old pair of canvas pants or you find uh, somewhere behind me you probably can't quite see it on the screen, but I have a couple of old canvas vests that are mostly for show. Now Uh, once or twice a year, I might take them out duck hunting behind the house, uh, just for the fun of it really. Or, um, my wife's grandpa's Jones hats back here on the wall. And you, you know, it's not going to be one of those nasty weather hunts, but you know, we might see a few ducks or I might, uh, go sit, you know, watch for birds or something else or, or who knows, but I may grab that hat or something. And, uh, when you start doing that same same thing with the old guns if you feel attached to to the history of what you're doing that little extra little bit in there means an awful lot and then no matter how good or how bad the day went you come out of it better and that yeah it's it's absolutely the old the old woolrich shirts and things you put those on and you're like oh man i i feel like a pioneer now and you're like Yes except that your sandwich is in a ziploc bag your <laughs> your your thermos of coffee will be hot twelve hours later because you you bought one that'll do that right um you know your plastic shotgun shells won't get wet and ruined like the old cardboards will you know your dog
1: has g p s on it <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> now and now i'm head to toe in pike gear um for the for the same reason right it's it's, man, it's nice to not be a pioneer. I'm not wet, <laughs> and I'm not cold. And then, you know, on that sunny day, I'm starting to look over there, and I, and I got I got a ties with woodcock and pheasants on them. I'm like, it's a tie day now. We're going to go get the cotton shirt back out. And that's that's something in, in the, the kids, I think, when you do that, it's a way of showing, it, it shows all the people around you, really, something a little bit more like you've put a little more into the occasion. Than, than showing up maybe in, you know, hoodie and blue jeans to grab one or two of those pieces and go, you know, let me, it wasn't always this easy, right? When your dog went out of sight, he was just out of sight.
1: That, that hasn't been that long ago for me. I haven't been running GPS that long. And I, my dog yeah. would go on pointing cattails and I couldn't find him for like 15, 20 minutes because he was locked up on a bird somewhere. Yeah. The, you're right, though, the 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 new technologies, whether it be in clothing, electronics, whatever they are, sure make life easier. But there's totally something to be said for stepping back in time a little bit sometimes. And I, I like I said, I, I will give anything to have one of those guns in my family. And but I've mm-hmm. t- so I've taken it upon myself to make sure yep. that the future generations have what I long for.
0: You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's. That's one of those those passing it on sorts of things, and uh, I have I have one of those guns. I've started the tradition. Um, my brother and I didn't have to arm wrestle, but he's going to end up with my dad, Satori, so I'll I'll have to come up with my own gun, right? I'm in that same boat, <laughs> unless I want a Mossberg, and I'm I'm cool with not needing a Mossberg. But uh, sorry sorry for all the Mossberg fans out there. They're a fantastic <laughs> firearm and uh that price price for the price for a dollar for for use and function they they're not bad at all and that's a great way to start i've had a few before but uh i don't have them anymore. I have two yeah i still uh, have one in the safe the the kids have them now they make a nice yes. youth gun and uh that's what i have yeah there's two of them in here one for each boy but uh with that i guess we'll we'll be wrapped up that was my last final question which is never really I guess the final comment after all. So any last parting shot?
1: Thanks for having me on. Fantastic experience. First time I've ever done anything like this. <laughs> and uh, I had a lot of fun. It's good to, good to see your face and get to know you a little bit better too. And I hope people enjoy just listening to who I am and, and what makes me tick because this is what it's all about for me. This is my life. Like I said, we're 100% vested. And uh, I, I hope to pass it on to my kids and future generations.
0: And it sounds to me like you've already got a good start on that, and it shouldn't be a, a problem to keep going in the future. But uh, this is Travis, and this is Great Divide Kennels, and uh, I'll have you hang on the line here a little bit longer after I hit cut here. I'd like to thank you again for listening. It's been a pleasure to talk with all these interesting people and to bring those conversations to you. If you would, please take the time to like and share, or rate and review this podcast. It will help get the word out to others who may also enjoy uh, conversations kind of like these. You can find us on Facebook under Bird Camp. Follow there as well as on Instagram now at Bird Camp Pod. One word. If you want to support the podcast financially, we do that through Patreon. Just for a couple of bucks, I figure the cup of cup of coffee or The price of a beer a month is pretty cheap. I'm good for it. And uh, you take those funds and use those for either an expense here at the podcast or if there's any excess it goes into something fundraising for conservation or kids in the outdoors or some such things as that. And uh, hopefully I will hear from you. I always appreciate feedback as well as I look forward to you listening to the next one. Here on the Bird Camp Podcast.